Welcome to The Rock Church and World Outreach Center. We pray that this message will strengthen and encourage you. Now here's a message from one of our special guests. Amen and amen. In case you are wondering who I might be, as Pastor Paul said, uh, we are, this is our home church. We're not here very often because we travel and we are based in the Philippines. Our headquarters in the United States is over in Tucson, so we drive on over whenever we can to participate in service. But we have been friends of and partners with this church since the mid-1980s. When this church first began, we were some of the first people that came along and, and started to hook up with the church in its infancy. We have a ministry overseas. If you are not familiar with what we do, we have a ministry overseas that currently numbers between 275 and 300 churches. We have a crusade ministry that has led to date from its inception back in 1980 until today, more than 750,000 people to Jesus in the crusade work that God has used us to accomplish. And you have a part to play in this, your prayers, your support, all of this will be accredited to your account someday when we all stand before the Lord. So thank you on behalf of my staff, on behalf of my wife Ethel, and our beloved son who has not been back to mainland USA in 10 years. There he sits in the name of Jesus, 10 years. Thank you, Father. We are living in perilous times. We're living in uncharted territory. 2021 was a year never to be forgotten for many, many reasons, some of them good and many of them not so good. But as we move into a new year, uh, we need to move into a new year with a fresh attitude that will enable and secure our success. Now, before we get into the meat of the message that I have been assigned to share with you today, I want you to turn with me to John chapter 16, and we're going to read three verses. This is Jesus speaking. John chapter 16, verse number 20 is where we will start. In many ways, 2020 took the American church to a place they've never been before. In many parts of the world, the kind of persecution that we are now facing is everyday business for many of our brothers and sisters worldwide, but not so much in America until this past year. We have been facing challenges. We've been facing all, kind of ob all kinds of obstacles and hurdles that we've never really faced before as a collective body but we are now facing them and we need to understand how to respond and how to not just survive, but thrive in the times in which we live. Jesus speaks about this. He says in the 20th verse, most assuredly I say to you that you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will be turned into joy. A woman, when she is in labor, has sorrow because her hour has come, but as soon as she has given birth to the child, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. Verse 22, therefore you now have sorrow, but I will see you again, and your heart will rejoice, and no one will take that joy away from you. Jesus talked about a journey. It's a journey that the Bible records from Genesis all the way to the end of the book. It is what I call the journey of sorrow to joy. It is a journey that every Christian takes 
because we are living in an ungodly world run by a renegade spirit. The earth is cursed because of what Adam did, and that curse still remains on the planet. And so many times people wonder why bad things happen to good people or specifically why bad things happen to good Christian people. And the answers really are very, very simple to understand. All right? We have authority in the name of Jesus. We can stop things in our lives based upon what we know and how we apply what we know. But if we don't know what we need to know, the devil will take our ignorance and use it against us. And he's been a master at doing this for generations and decades and decades of time. It is a theme throughout the Word of God. It is a journey from sorrow to joy. Jesus talks about it here. He says, right now, you people are sorrowful because you're looking around and the world is rejoicing. They hate us. They think they're going to shut us down. But there's coming a time when all of this is going to flip. And we need to come to that place in our minds where it has already flipped and we are already there in terms of how we see the world in which we live. Okay, your attitude and your perspective is critical to how you're going to navigate the next two, three, four, five years, whatever it takes, who knows how long until Jesus returns or until you step out of your body and you go on home. You need to be a player and not a spectator. You need to be someone that God can count on in the clutch, not some, you know, a caramelized, camouflaged, cupcake person disguised as a Christian. You need to be somebody out there doing something meaningful for the Lord, pushing back the forces of darkness in the midst of, in the midst of all the hellacious tragedies and difficulties and sorrow and unexpected difficulties and whatever else is out there that the devil throws our way. I tell people in the Philippines, when they get saved in our crusades, the first thing we tell them is, listen, we rejoice with you. You're on your way to heaven. You've been born again. Your sins have been washed away and in our circles, even spirit-filled. But you have just had a big target pasted on your back and you are going to get shot at. You better learn how to bleed for Jesus. You better learn how to bleed for Jesus because you're going to bleed. And I will bleed with you. We'll not leave you nor forsake you. But if you think that you're going to walk through this life just because you're born again and nothing's coming your way, I think we all found out in the year 2020 that is not the case anymore. You better find out some things about who you are in Christ. Look with me, if you would, at um, 2 Timothy chapter 2. These are just words of apostolic encouragement. This is how I encourage my pastors and I'm sharing these things with you here today. Uh, let's see, 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse number 3. Thank you, Jesus. You, therefore, this is Paul writing to Timothy, you, therefore, must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Notice the word must, must endure, must. This is not open to discussion here. You must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. You may not understand this, but when you got saved, you got drafted. You're in the military. Okay, in the Philippines right now, uh, we are both commissioned officers with the Philippine Army. Uh, an opening that God gave to us so that we can reach the soldiers and the military bases and so forth. I hold the rank of Brigadier General. She holds the rank of Lieutenant Colonel. Okay, so we have opportunity to go onto the military bases and talk to the soldiers about Jesus. Many of them are Muslims 
and uh, they have to sit there and listen because I'm the general and they're not. So I'll tell them, sit down and shut up. I'm going to talk to you about Jesus. And they have to sit down and shut up and listen to what I have to say. Praise the Lord. Listen, this is a war. You are in it. All right? You're in it. You can't hide from it. You can't hide behind your Bible and hope the devil leaves you alone. Victory is guaranteed, but the journey is one from sorrow to joy over and over and over again. The journey includes premature death. People leave before their time. Tragedies, accidents, suffering, defeat, pain, failure. But when you experience these things, you need to know how to handle this. The title for today's message, if you wish to title such a thing, is Spiritual Retaliation. You can't just let the devil steamroll over you. You have to stand up and say, no, 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 that's it, that's it. It's enough of this. You're not going to steal my marriage. You're not going to steal my family. You're not going to take my job. You're not going to ruin my business. You're not going to have me living behind masks for the rest of my life because I'm afraid to breathe. Someone say amen. amen. You know, I'll use the Philippines as an example of what I'm talking about. The Philippines, you may or may not know this, is a country that on average will have more super typhoons than any country on the planet on an average annual basis. The Philippines averages about 25 super typhoons a year, super hurricanes. They call them typhoons over there. They call them hurricanes here. In November of 2013, there was a storm that came through called Yolanda. They call it high in, they call it high in here, they called it Yolanda over there, okay? This storm, when it made landfall, it was the most powerful storm ever recorded. There have been a few since then that were even bigger, but at that time, no storm had ever made landfall with more wind energy than this one. The uh, clocked wind speed on the day and at the hour that it made landfall in a town called Giwan, where we have churches, was 196 miles an hour. Sustained winds for five hours were over 160 miles an hour. They found, I mean, listen, in six hours, between the time that storm came through and went across the country, okay, in six hours, 6,300 people were killed, 1,062 people were missing, 29,000 people were injured severely, and 11 million were left homeless in a matter of six hours. Okay, good people. Filipinos are good people but they were just in the path of this hellacious storm, and this is what was the result. We actually went to Giwan because of our churches. The church was gone. The town was not there. You looked at that town as if a bomb had been dropped. There was nothing. There was not a tree standing. There was not a building, a structure. Uh, there people were standing in the street, you know, in shock. They didn't have anything left. They couldn't find their relatives. The airport had been blown off the map. They couldn't land supplies in their relief. So nothing. This was like that for weeks. They were finding bodies all over the place for weeks and weeks and weeks. And there was actually one family, a doctor and his family, who tried to outrun the storm. And they found his SUV at the top of a tree. And they were all dead inside. They drowned from the storm surge. People had gone into shelters because they were told to, but they didn't anticipate the storm surge. A 20-foot wall of water came in and swept everybody out to sea. Most of the people who died drowned out in the middle of the ocean. That's what happens when you understand that this world is a cursed planet 
and the devil will do whatever he can to steal, to kill, and to destroy. Don't be surprised. First Peter talks about it, you know. Don't consider it strange concerning fiery trials that come against you as though strange, thing, strange things are happening. These things happen to people. You have probably experienced some of this yourself, maybe to a lesser degree, but just as traumatic to you personally as whatever we're describing here, okay? Look, when, when we go through this journey from sorrow to joy, there's going to be unexpected tragedies and there's going to be expected hardships. You have to understand this, okay? You can't just walk around thinking because I'm spirit-filled and I, I pray in tongues and I go to a great church like The Rock that everything's gonna be just the way I want for it to be. We are going to be tested tempted and tried until the day that Jesus returns. Do you understand that? Does anyone ever understand that part? Okay. Look with me at Matthew chapter 14. Matthew chapter 14. Let's see how Jesus handles bad news because he got a bunch of it all along his three and a half years of public ministry. Matthew chapter 14 Look with me at verse number 12. This is talking about John the Baptist and what happened to him. He was arrested because he, you know, got up in Herod's face and told him about his sins and so on and so forth. We don't need to read any of that right now. But it, at the end of the day, his head was cut off. He was beheaded. And it says in verse number 12, his disciples came and took away the body and buried it and went and told Jesus. See, Jesus didn't know this had happened, okay? And John and Jesus were cousins and they were very close. John was the one at the River Jordan who proclaimed who Jesus was. The Holy Spirit came down in the form of a dove and we heard the voice from heaven, you know, this is my beloved son and John the Baptist was right there. And he said, I'm not even worthy to unstrap your, your sandal. I should be baptized by you, etc., etc." They were very close. And then he gets word that his cousin has just had his head lopped off. How would you respond? What would you do? I mean, you know, if your if you're close friend or your spouse or your child had their head cut off by some ungodly ruler somewhere like what happened here, how would you respond? Okay, Jesus was not a robot. He had feelings just like you and just like me. Unexpected tragedy, unexpected bad news. What does he do? Verse 13, he, when he heard it, he departed from there by boat to a deserted place by himself. He said, I'm leaving. I got, I got to collect myself here. You guys stay put. I'll be back when I'm back. And he went off into the desert somewhere into a deserted place to try and handle the tragedy emotionally, to try to get a handle on it, to try to get the right perspective, to keep the right perspective and the Bible says as he's in the process of doing this when the multitudes heard about where he went they followed him on foot from the cities and when Jesus went out he saw a great multitude and he was moved with compassion for them and healed their sick in the midst of his pain he's reaching out to other people you want to spiritually retaliate against the devil do what he did he healed the sick. He went out beyond his own pain, beyond his own hurt, 
and anger and frustration and indignation and whatever else. He went beyond all of that and said, you know, these people need help right now. So I've got to lay aside my issues, my pain, my sorrow, and I have to minister because that's why I'm here. That's why you're here. That's why I'm here. We don't hide behind our tragedy, expecting the world to weep with us. That is not the way this works. Are you listening? God needs all hands on deck. Second Chronicles chapter 16 talks about God searching back and forth throughout the whole world, looking for people to show himself strong to. In most churches, he can't find anybody. But in this church, praise the Lord, I believe he can find thousands, thousands, and you're it. Amen. So when you walk out from these doors, put your head up, square your shoulders and walk out there and attack the attack in the name of Jesus. Get out there and push the devil around. Make him pay. Spiritually retaliate. Tell the devil, you cannot have my family. You cannot have my children. You cannot have my job. I am pushing back in the name of Jesus. And I frankly don't care who likes it and who doesn't. Because a lot of people won't. They're not familiar with this. They're not accustomed to this. All right, look with me in Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter number 16. Praise the name of Jesus. Acts chapter number 16 contains, in my mind, two of the most precious verses in all the Bible. It's found in verses 30 and 31. Okay? Look here with me. Acts chapter 16, verse number 30 and 31. This is the jailer. He brings Paul and Silas out from the jail after the earthquake. And here's his question. He brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? That's the question. That's the question every human being is asking or should be asking wherever they may be. What must I do to be saved? And the answer, verse number 31, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. In my mind, as a missionary, those are the two most precious verses in all the Bible. It has been said that John 3.16 is the Bible's most precious verse. This is the verse where Jesus declares to Nicodemus, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but everlasting life. Okay, and they call that the most precious verse. Well, I, I, it is. It is a very precious verse. But that chapter, John chapter 3, is a conversational exchange between Jesus and Nicodemus. The context of Acts 16 is completely different. The context of Acts 16 is battle context. It is the war for souls. In John 3, Jesus is just having a conversation with Nicodemus and he reveals these things. But in Acts chapter number 16, if you go back and read what brought them to that point... They had their backs whipped wide open. They were beaten within an inch of their life simply for sharing the gospel with people and in particular with a demon-possessed girl who was roaming around, following after them, saying these men are, 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 are children of the Most High and you need to be listening to them. I want you to back up a few verses. I want you to see something with me. How did Paul and Silas retaliate against what had happened to them? Okay, look with me at John 16, uh, Acts, I'm sorry, Acts 16, 16. Let's go back a few verses and see the context of what we're talking about. Acts 16, 16, it says, Now it happened as we went to prayer 
that a certain slave girl possessed with a spirit of divination met us who brought her masters much fortune, or much profit, I should say, by fortune telling. This girl followed Paul and us and cried out, saying, These men are the servants of the Most High God who proclaim to us the way of salvation. And I want you to notice verse 18. This she did for many days. Now, how many days? We don't know. It could have been a week. could have been a month. We don't know. But many days. All right? Now, look at how Paul responds. But Paul, greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit. Notice, he's not talking to the girl. He's talking to the spirit that's controlling the girl. This is why the body of Christ needs to wake up. We are the only ones that can go into the spirit realm and do damage there where it really can count. We are the only entity on the planet that can do this. The military cannot do this. Politicians cannot do this. Nobody else can do this. The Peace Corps can't do this. Only the body of Christ can go where he's going right now, where he goes into the spirit realm and talks to the devil who's controlling the, the girl that's been tormenting them for many days. I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out that very hour. There's a message right there, too. It's not always instantaneous deliverance, but if you keep applying yourself and using your words to push and push and push and push the devil back, sooner or later it's going to go right off the back of that stage in the name of Jesus, and you'll see the manifestation. It might not happen just as soon as you might like for it. And that's where you have to be tenacious and spiritually retaliate until you see what you're declaring in the name of Jesus. Notice. Paul was greatly annoyed. You and I, friends, we need to come to a place where we become greatly annoyed. Greatly annoyed at what's happening in this country. Greatly annoyed at what's happening around the world. Greatly annoyed with these designer viruses that these corporations and these pharmaceutical companies and these governments are planning and executing and releasing into the world. You need to become greatly annoyed. Amen. Quit being some kind of just pushover where the devil can just have his way in your life anytime he wants to. Don't allow that to happen. Amen. You're going to lose some friends along the way. So what? I say to you, if these people cannot get on board, they're not your friends to start with. Just dump them and move on. Love them and dump them in the name of Jesus. Greatly annoyed, he turned and said to the spirit. It's about time for the body of Christ to turn and say, enough, I am annoyed greatly. Amen. Counterattack, retaliate, make the devil pay. Listen, friends, everybody gets hit with surprise attacks, unexpected tragedies. Everybody gets hit by this stuff, some more so than others, depending upon where they live what their culture is, what, what's going on in their life. Everybody gets it, okay? There's nobody immune to this, okay? And you're sitting there thinking, yeah, I understand because it's happening to me too. But here's the point. It's how you respond to what's happening. It's what you do after it comes against you that you need to, you know, make your medal for God, okay? And thank God you're in a church where you're going to hear this week after week, message after message, because this whole staff knows exactly what I'm talking about because they've been there. All right, we've been shot at. Don't tell me faith doesn't work. I've been shot at, I've been hit, I've been wounded, and we keep moving forward. We advance under fire in the name of Jesus. Amen. And at the end of the day, we're five foxholes ahead of where we were when the attack first took place in our lives. 
If you're going to fall, fall forward. Don't ever fall backwards in Jesus' name. How do you retaliate? Let me give you some examples, some suggestions. How about sharing Jesus more than you've ever shared Jesus in your life? Let's start there. How about talking about Jesus to the people that you work with, go to school with, hang with, whatever, go to the mall with? How about talking more about Jesus? How about this? How about offering to lay your hands on sick people? You know, that's one of the signs in Matthew, I'm sorry, Mark 16. Believers will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. It didn't say Bible school graduates. It didn't say pastors. And it didn't say missionaries. It said believers will lay hands on the sick. Show me your hands. Let me see the hands. Okay. If you got hands, you're qualified. Good for the Bible college. I went to one. There's a great one here. If God says to go, go. But at the end of the day, you don't need to go to be used by God. You got hands? Lay them on people. Say, can I pray for you? Can I just, you know, I know you're going through a, a, a rough patch right now. Is it okay if I just lay hands upon you? You'll be shocked. Most people would actually say yes. And those that don't, that's their funeral, not yours. Be generous for the work of God. Give like never before. You're not tithing? How about starting? Now. Amen. I have pastors come into my office bemoaning their financial lot in life. My first question will always be to these guys, are you tithing? Are you giving your 10% to God? Well, you know, daddy, they call me daddy over there. Well, you know, daddy. No, 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 no. I asked you if you're giving your tithe. That's 10% off the top. Well, uh, 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 well, uh, um, hmm. well, I mean to, I intend to, I know that it, stop, we're finished. Counseling is now over. Here's my answer to you. Tithe. 10% off the top. See me in six months. Bye. Amen. Be warm, be filled, be gone in Jesus' name. I'm, gonna, I'm not going to circle the wagons for 45 minutes with you. You got your answer right in front of you. Go tithe. Put 10% in the bucket and shut up and let God be great. He said the windows of heaven will be open. Okay, well, let him open the windows. Okay? Give more. Give more. Start with your tithe. How about spending more time in praise and worship? How about spending more time in prayer? Take off, put the phone down with all the games and the gadgets and spend some meaningful time with the Lord your God. Wouldn't that be new? Praise the Lord. Be more compassionate towards other people like God is compassionate with you. Amen. All right, in the remaining time, so many things to share. Look with me, if you would, at Matthew chapter 8. Matthew, the 8th chapter. And verse 29. This is a demon talking here. Matthew 8, 29 says this. Suddenly, they cried out. Actually, they were more than one demon saying, what have we to do with you, Jesus, you son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? Have you come to torment us before the time? They know a time's coming. They know that there's a time, there's a time set by God that they will be removed from the planet. They know that. And guess what? That time is coming a lot sooner than most people realize. The point is, we are here to torment them before their time? That's the question. Have you come to torment us before the time? Absolutely. 
Sit down, old split foot and shut up and watch me lift my hands and praise the Lord in your presence because there's nothing you can figure out or come against me with that you can't deny me the right to stand my ground in the name of Jesus because I have a covenant with God. I didn't pay for this. He paid for that. And he gave me the right to exercise that, con that covenant. And you have no, you, who are you? You don't tell me when I get to go. God tells me when I get to go in the name of Jesus. You don't determine the terms of my defeat. I determine the terms of your defeat in the name of Jesus. So shut up. Raise your voice. Get angry. Amen. Let me give you a few ways in which we can torment the devil. These are just some suggestions. But I have found that they work. Number one, Hebrews 13, 15. I'll just refer to the verse. The Bible talks about the sacrifice of praise. The sacrifice of praise. The sacrifice of praise. That means you don't feel like praising the Lord, but you do it because you know it's the right thing to do. Amen. Most Christians wear their feelings out on their shirt sleeves. That's why the devil has a heyday in their life. You have to live beyond your feelings. Faith is not a feeling. Faith is a decision. I am going to lift my hands. I am going to praise the Lord. I just lost my job. I'm going to lift my hands and praise the Lord. I've just been tested positive with COVID. I'm going to lift my hands and I'm going to praise the Lord. I'm going to do what I'm going to do in the name of Jesus because nobody can under, underscore or destroy my free will. It's the greatest weapon on the planet that God's given to me. The devil can't stop me in the name of Jesus. And I am going to lift my hands and in the face of Satan, I'm going to praise God until he's sick of hearing it. Jesus' name, that's number one. And especially after you've been knocked down, especially when you're flat on your back, the devil gave you the sucker punch of your life and you're down on your ground and in the name of Jesus, you're just you know, feeling like, what in the world had just happened to me? Well, that's when you lift your hands, you get up off that canvas and you start lifting up your hands and you start praising the Lord in the name of Jesus. Look with me at Micah. Let's look at this one. Micah chapter seven. Micah chapter seven and verse eight. I love this passage. This is a conversation between the believer and the devil. Micah 7, 8 says this, Do not rejoice over me, my enemy. When I fall, I will arise. When I sit in darkness, the Lord will be a light to me. I will bear the indignation of the Lord because I've sinned against him until he pleads my case and executes justice for me. He will bring me forth to the light I will see his righteousness. I mean, that, you know what's happening here? He's confessing something. He's declaring something. Do not rejoice over me. Yeah, I have fallen. I've made my mistakes. I've committed my sins. But I receive my forgiveness and I'm going to arise. When I'm sitting in the darkness, the Lord's going to be the light to me. And I will rise again and I'm going to be sharper, more committed, more lethal, more deadly against you than I have ever been in the name of the Lord Jesus. Can anybody say amen? Number two. Protect your peace. Protect your peace. Everybody has their own way of finding that, but look with me at John 16, verse 33. John 16 and verse 33. Jesus speaks. Here's what he says. These things I have spoken to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. How many here have good cheer? Good cheer. You know, good cheer. 
You know, you turn on that television set, in about 20 minutes, you have no cheer. You know, you go stumbling out the door, mumbling and grumbling, fearful for the future. Quit listening to those media morons who don't know what they're talking about. I have news. There is, listen, well, the Supreme Court. There is a Supreme Court. His name is God. That's the Supreme Court. That's the final court. That's the only court that matters is the Supreme Court of heaven. And guess what? God doesn't need politicians to go do what he's promised to go do. He doesn't need any of that stuff. He doesn't need the electoral college, the electors, or anyone else out there. He needs his children, you and me, to stand up and say, I have had enough. That's what he needs. And that's all he needs. Praise the Lord. Protect your peace. In the world, you're going to have tribulation. Be of good cheer. Jesus has overcome the world. Look at Habakkuk chapter 3. And let's look at number three, which is to protect your joy. Habakkuk chapter number three and verse number 17. And by the way, when I'm talking about joy, we're not talking about being happy. Happy is a feeling. Sinners can be happy. On their way to hell, they can be happy. Okay, but joy is a fruit of the Spirit. That comes from the Holy Ghost. Only a Christian can be joyful. Everybody can be happy, but only the Christian can truly be joyful. And the Bible says the joy of the Lord is our strength. Amen. And I'm not suggesting you become some kind of spiritual hyena roaming around with your, you know, like a coat hanger stuck in your mouth. You know, we're, we're talking about people who just know who they are in Christ. Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 17. Though the fig tree may not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, nor the labor of the olive may fail, and the fields yield no food, though the flock is cut off from the fold, there's no herd in the souls. This is what the devil does. This is verse 17. This is the devil at work. Now, how we respond is verse 18. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. That's how we respond in verse 18. And then this is what we declare in verse 19. And this is how God responds to how we respond. Verse 19, the Lord God is my strength. He'll make my feet like deer's feet. He makes me walk upon my high hills in the name of Jesus. That's your declaration right there. Amen. This is what you should be saying all of the time. Even though your fig tree may be wiped out, your fruit on the vines are gone, the olives are somewhere else, the fields yield no fruit. So what? So what? God is still God. Amen. And America belongs to Jesus. It does not belong to the devil. It does not belong to those doing his bidding. It belongs to the Son of God. He bought it, he paid for it, and he's promised it's part of his inheritance. And no devil or demon is going to stop that in the name of Jesus. God doesn't need everybody, friends. He just needs the radical remnant. May I remind you here today, 12 spies were handpicked by Moses, 12 leaders of each tribe, seasoned veterans that were handpicked by Moses. They were sent into the promised land for 40 days to spy out the land, to bring back the intelligence report. And 10 out of 12 caved into fear because of what they saw. Only two, Joshua and Caleb, gave the good report of faith. 10 gave an evil report of unbelief. Today, right now in the body of Christ, especially in America right now, we've got 12, and out of the 12, we have 10 useless, worthless, 
children of God, brothers and sisters, nonetheless, but youths, useless and worthless to the cause of Christ. Two out of 12 mean something, can do something, and they're going to do something in the name of Jesus, and that's people like you and me. Praise the Lord. Two out of 12. Two out of 12. All right. Lastly, and this will be the last point for today. More points, but no time. Look with me at Psalms 139. Psalms 139. I like this one because this, this just rings my bell, and you'll find out here in just a minute why. Psalms 139, verse 21. Thank you, Jesus. Psalms 139, verse number 21. Here's what it says. Do I not hate them, O Lord, who hate you? Do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with perfect hatred. I count them as my enemies. That's an attitude. That's the attitude that God's looking for. Okay, see, it's okay to hate. It's okay to hate. God hates, okay? He hates sin. I could take you to verse after verse to show you this, but there's no time. The point is, it's not all about love. It's about love coupled with balance by hate. You have to hate because God is love and there is an evil spirit out there that is driven by nothing but pure hatred. And we're told in scriptures like this to learn how to hate our enemies. Now, we're in the New Testament now, so we're not talking about people. We're not talking about hating Democrats, hating Republicans, hating this one, hating them. We are talking about going to the root who controls these people, and those are the ones we learn to hate. And my prayer every day, every day is, Lord, help me hate the devil more today than I did yesterday. I love you more today, Lord, than ever in my life, but I also want to couple that with an intense loathing, loathing, of the enemy of my soul because your enemy is my enemy and if he's after you, he's after me and I'm gonna hate him the way I'm supposed to in the name of Jesus and as a result, no good thing will God withhold from people that have this kind of attitude. The answer is channel your hatred. Channel it, okay? It's okay to hate as long as you know where it's going, as long as you know where you're applying it, as long as you know it stays in the confines of the spiritual conflicts that you and I are engaged with every single day. Everything else out there is smoke and mirrors, people. Everything else out there is smoke and mirrors, okay? The devil is a master of misdirection. Do you understand that? Getting everybody to fight about all kinds of things that don't amount to a spiritual hill of beans, okay? We need to learn how to hate the enemies of our soul, the way we love the Lord our God. Amen? The same way. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for your word this morning. Our prayer, Lord, is that we will take to heart things we've heard, apply them in our lives, and be doers of what we've been told in Jesus' name, in your word. Help us to look into that mirror, Lord, as James talks about, and let's see a mirrored reflection of Jesus Christ that comes back to us in the name of Jesus. We want to be mirrored reflections of the Lord. We don't want to be like everybody else. We don't want to talk like everybody else. We want to be different, Lord, because we've cultivated our love for you and our hatred for the enemies of our soul. We want to thank you, Lord, for this in Jesus' name. We want to thank you for this, Lord, in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to the Rock Church and World Outreach Center. If this message spoke to you, please share it with us. We'd love to hear from you. You can find more information at www.rockchurch.com.